Hi everyone, welcome back to the Let's Talk About the Hashtag podcast. My name is Sarnutha and I am the Marketing Director for the World University Services of Canada at Ontario Tech University. Today we have a very special guest, Leah Jalul, here to speak on and about the Lebanon crisis. So welcome, Leah. Hi, it's very nice to meet you. Well, basically, growing up in Lebanon was a very nice childhood. We were all, we're a small country. Basically, we're all close with one another. And we've had a very nice childhood. But we did suffer a bit because we had to go through a little war on, um, you can say basically it was in 2009, between 2009 and 2008. But I had the privilege to go up to the mountains to not come and live in the experience but it was very hard for the people in Beirut it was an ongoing war it was for like not very long but it was like for a whole summer basically and we did we didn't know where like I remember basically uh, all of a sudden my parents would tell me we're gonna pack up our stuff and we're just going like so at that time it wasn't safe but uh, it finally finished it over the summer and then everything was safe again and everything was like it was before and it was a great childhood it was very good up until 2019 we started going through economic crisis we've had a lot of revolutions because of our politicians basically um our let me explain to you our currency rate it was a dollar used to be for 1500 lebanese pounds Right now, as of today, a dollar is for 8,500 Lebanese pounds. Yet, our income for like when we work, we still take in the old rate. So many people have been suffering in this here in Lebanon. And especially like everything got more expensive with the currency rate. And the government doesn't have any more money. And there's been a lot of revolutions. All of the bad economic situations started before. But everything was uncovered in 2019. But then again, I love my country. I love the people in my country. And I love Lebanon. Wow, sounds like you had a very good childhood and you really do love Lebanon. That really comes through in your perspective. Yes. So where were you during the bombing and what happened from your point of view? Um, okay, during the bombing, uh, it was in uh, the Beirut uh, port. I was very near, actually. I was in a place called Ashrafiyya. It was the first day of my job, actually. I just started my own job. It was a part-time job. I went in the morning, and then I had to leave, like, at 1. But then my boss, he called me. He was like, please, you have to come back since your replacement, as I'm a reception in a gym, is not able to make it. So I came back, obviously, and it happened at 6.08, exactly. We weren't feeling anything, basically, because like when fire, when the bomb fire started happening and everyone went out to look what was going on in the other parts of Lebanon, but we weren't able to because basically we're underground. We're like, not underground, you can explain on the ground. So with no warning or hesitations, I just heard the dumbbell go down 
I thought that was normal. So within 30 seconds of that dumbbell going down, I remember, uh, all I can remember is me like flying over, like, and going through a lot of pain because the there was a door full of glass with like metal covering it. It just shot over me and then I fainted and I landed on my face and I broke my teeth. And then like everyone in the gym was basically inside and they were all okay, thankfully. And they were able to help me and take me to the hospital. And when I went out, like on the way to the hospital, you can see all of like the town of where I was screaming. It was like a horror movie. Like I can't even begin to explain how scary it was just stepping out of the place that I was even like me going through the shock, like from the pain of the, it was really painful that I was so numb. I don't know how to explain it, but I didn't even scream. And I didn't even like have a reaction except the people who were around me because they were scared. Because you see when I was uh, infected by the bomb, all my eyes were ripped open. My forehead was ripped open. And um, I just couldn't see because the glass had cut through my eyes. I couldn't see as much as normally I would see. So uh, on my way, actually, uh, there was too much traffic and I couldn't get to the hospital. And I was trying to like get really dizzy and like lose all the conscious. So basically a stranger picked me up from the car as he was really worried about me. I didn't know who he was. I still don't know his name until today. He picked me up from the car. We had to run, run, run to the hospital before like I bleed more. This is when I arrived to the hospital. It was even worse. In front of me, there were like 400 people. And I can't explain like the things that I saw. It was good I couldn't see that much because it was really bad. People doing CPRs in front of me, uh, people with their legs decapitated. It was like literally like the worst thing. It was basically living in a nightmare. So then an eye doctor actually came down and they were like, if you're infected in the eyes, you have to come up with us. But I remember I was sitting next to like 25 people and we had to be stapled like without any, uh, without any anesthesia. So basically uh, when my parents even came to like meet me, I thought in a country like mine, I needed my insurance for them to like sue me up, like sew everything up because I thought I had to pay money and like I wasn't holding that much with me. I didn't know they were going to do like help us this way, but obviously they should because the whole country was affected. And then my parents saw me, they didn't even notice me. Like they just passed through me because my face wasn't even showing. But then they saw me, I went up and for five hours, I had three doctors stitching my eyes. And even one of the doctors said that we might need to go into surgery because a glass went in and scratched my next to my cornea. But we managed to just do that, removing the, switching the glass off the eye. So basically, in a gist, then my hand, I had my tendon and nerve ripped out and I dealt with everything. And I'm very thankful today, like I'm still alive. Yeah, that's the most important part. I'm glad you're here with us today. So how has your life changed after the blast? And can you also give us a perspective on how the country of Lebanon changed as well? 
Okay. So, uh, my life changed, obviously, because um, we went through something horrific recently. I just, um, I think I suffer a little bit of a PTSD. I get scared very quickly. That's actually going for the whole country. And sometimes I don't feel safe at all because you never know now. I always think like something's about to happen. But then again, every person in the country is going through this, even the ones that weren't affected in the blast. Everyone's very scared of what's going on. And now it's even worse for me because I lost my job after the blast. And right now the country is suffering a lot because I was telling you the economic crisis has gotten worse and worse, especially after the blast. They're obviously going to lose uh, a lot of millions actually because I told you it was the Beirut port. It's like basically where we keep all of the containers from outside the trade, like all of it basically got just destroyed. Just to rebuild it, it's gonna be a lot. And all the houses that were lost, people are really suffering because basically around 400,000 houses were basically ruined. The blast basically, Cyprus heard it. This is how big it was. It was a huge blast. The country's just, it's not getting better so far, like, especially with Corona, especially with the economic situation, especially how people are scared. They don't know what to do anymore. So right now we're just holding on to the hope of supporting one another. Actually, people have been amazing here. As I have been affected by the blast, I got a lot of things fixed for free, supported by the people themselves rather than the government. Uh, I've been going to facial plastic surgeons for free. I fixed my teeth for free, the ones that got broken that I told you about. And the support that we've been getting from one another has been beautiful. Between us as like people, but the government, it's just right now, we don't know, like we don't even have, we barely have a government. And I don't know what's going to happen next. Like, I don't know how students right here are going to be able to afford universities. Because basically our universities right now are going to start being at the rate of like the high rate that I was telling you about. And if someone wants to work, they're going to still be taking at the old rate. So no one can afford university anymore. No one can afford to have a family anymore. All married couples right now are living with their parents again because they can't afford to even have a house. So I just, this is what's going on with Lebanon so far. It's really amazing to see that even despite this terrible situation your country's in, the people can still stay together and hold each other through this. Yeah, it is amazing, like the support that we've been receiving from one another and the hope like that we've been getting. Yeah, exactly. So what has the Lebanon government done to help your country since the bombing? So basically the Ministry of Health has helped by the day of the explosion, as in like they covered the costs of all the uh, people who were injured. They covered the costs of anyone who was like not able to pay, obviously, because no one paid during the bombing, obviously. Um, they were able to help in a few like that's not in a few houses, but that's mainly NGOs. Like from outside, they have made huge donations. We have been able to rebuild houses. They have been able to... That, I don't know if it's the government, to be honest, but so far the NGOs and a lot of like 
non-governmental organizations have been actually um, supporting by doing food for the poor, rebuilding the houses, helping ones who don't have house, giving them a place to live in, basically. But the government itself so far said, mentioned that we are supposed to have, everyone who was injured in the bomb is supposed to have like a health insurance all of his life. But they said that around a month ago, so nothing happened yet with that situation. And right now we're not sure like if there is a government, to be honest, like we're still waiting for a new prime minister, basically. And we don't know what's going to happen with the dollars and the rates. So how is the economy doing now? It is so, the economy is dropping down day by day, every day. It's doing really bad. The poverty has increased by a lot of percentage. We're one of almost, we go down to the worst economical crisis, like in the world right now. And um, so far the economy has been really bad. As I explained to you before, like with the rates and everything and the no jobs. And even like if you want to take a doctor's appointment and go to a regular hospital and like check something or have a checkup, it's basically unaffordable for everyone. So um, it's really bad. Like we don't know where it's going to go. And basically, let me tell you, let me explain something. You know how you have like the employer rates per month in each country? So basically, our... How do you call it? I'm sorry. Wait. Our basic salary, okay, our minimum salary is $100 per month. Or actually, sorry, it's actually $80 per month. I reassured that when I was asking someone who's experienced in that situation. He was explaining to you, to me that our minimum wage is $80 per month per month sorry so basically you can say that people have families and babies to take care of they're taking a minimum wage of 80 60 to 80 dollars while everything basically around the country has higher than rate they're not being able to like afford medicine for their babies anymore not even the vaccine i'm talking about a general vaccine like it's basically unaffordable especially with our minimum wage that's if we find a job like would be still taking a minimum wage of like $60, you would spend your salary in a day, literally. Because imagine that everything that we get is on the old minimum wage, which was basically $600 because of the rate being $1,500. Now that it's $8,500, it's a bit confusing, I know. Our minimum wage right now is $80 per month. Wow, the numbers you really threw in there really does give a... a huge percentage yeah. rate, especially like less than a year. It's insane that it's like a shock for us. Like we didn't even adapt that this would... And it's not even like stable to a dollar. Maybe tomorrow it's going to be 10,000 Lebanese lira. Maybe the day, day after 20. We don't know. That's the thing. This is why we're not stable at all. So is the government supporting the local hospitals and families living in poverty? 
So basically, as of what I know, as I told you, with the Ministry of uh, Health supported in the bombing, right now I'm not sure if they're still continuing that support because the country is running out of, uh, uh, how can I explain it? The central bank is running out of money and we're in a lot of, basically Lebanon has a lot of Jews, funds to pay. So they're running out of money. So right now, I don't know how they're going to, Right now, they're being supported by NGOs, as I explained, and a lot of people within the country, and they're doing like little organizations to help them for now. But like in general, the government is having a lot of uh, funds and um, how can I explain it? Jews to pay. So yes, the central bank is like minus. It's minus a lot of money right now to like be able to support the economy or you could say the poverty even right now for example if a person wants to buy meat or chicken to add to the previous question they're not able to anymore like it's really expensive right now they're, they can't afford it anymore and sometimes all of a sudden we get in the news we're running out of for example bread we're running out of this running out of gas it's gonna get this much more expensive so i don't know like for the poverty right now yes they're supported but then again by ngos the hospitals yes they were supported in the uh, bomb from the ministry of health but for example when it came to my hand just because i was late for one more month the hospital was telling me that they don't want to do the operation for me because they want to take insurance. Because basically our Ministry of Health takes four years to pay the hospital back. So I had to go around for a whole month to actually convince and prove to the hospital that I was in the Beirut bomb. I actually got my scans. I did a CT scan in my, like, my head and everything. I was like, you need to do this operation unless I can't, like... Why would I have to prove to you I was in a Beirut bomb explosion? That's because they don't trust the Ministry of Health paying them back. So, at last, it's all corrupted. And like, I don't know what's going to happen with that situation mm-hmm. so far, especially with poor people not being able to have insurance. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do if the Ministry of Health, for example, needs something to, like, pays the hospital back for this long? So yes, we have a lot of cases where, for example, last month we got a case where this child got really sick. So all of a sudden, our people here in Lebanon started like sharing her story that we need to, they needed to donate for her because she had uh, basically to do this operation that was very, very, very expensive. And the people had to actually support her rather than the government itself. So. The government right here is always a question mark. It's, it's always so corrupted. I don't know what's going to happen next. So if you were able to immigrate to Canada, how would that change your life? What opportunities would that give you to live a better life? Okay, so basically like... If I were able to immigrate, I'd get a lot of opportunities. For example, just a job, surviving. Because right here, I'm very scared because I've been, 
as I told you, like I finally found a job on the, and then it happened on the day of explosion. And right now I'm not being able to find a job or at least support my parents because they had a job and they lost it. And right now all we're trying to do is survive. So basically if I can go and start a new opportunity and a new life, I'll be able to help my parents here. And especially with the rates going up and down, like I'd be able to support everyone around me, support myself, feel safe and feel like I have like a stability, safeness if ever anything were to happen. Because right here from the situation, even our insurance, for example, is going to be unaffordable. Like, I don't know if I'm safe here anymore because, for example, when I wanted to do an operation, I had to undergo a lot of problems because of the problems of insurance. What about the people here that don't have insurance? Like they must pay a lot to do, like to save their lives. So I think also I would be giving up to a few donations if I was able to find a job and help others here in Lebanon especially. And I hope this opportunity goes for everyone because we just finished university. Like it's not just me here who's going through that, it's everyone. No one's able to have a job. No one's able to support their parents. No one's able to support themselves. So yeah, that's basically the gist of what's going on here. Thank you for sharing that with us. So everything you have brought to our attention today was very amazing and eye-opening. What is it that you want our listeners to take home today from this podcast? Basically, I just want to give an awareness of the real Lebanon, of what it is really going through, especially the poverty who have been able, like who haven't been uh, able to survive day by day and who are dying from starvation and not actually from Corona. Thank you for shedding light on this crisis, Leah. We really appreciate you for taking your time today to address this issue. Thank you very much for this wonder of uh, opportunity, the chance that I got to say everything that's going on here. And thank you, Leah, once again. Welcome everyone, and my name is Erin Humphreys, and I am one of WUSC's event coordinators this year. What is WUSC's connection to Lebanon? WUSC works to support the various refugee populations living in Lebanon, particularly through the SRP program. In January 2014, as the conflict in Syria worsened, WUSC moved their operations to neighboring countries such as Jordan and Lebanon. Since then, WUSC has developed initiatives to aid the wide variety of refugee populations that Lebanon hosts, such as Palestinians, Iraqs, Somalis, Sibanese, Yemens, and Syrians. About 25% of the population in Lebanon consists of refugees the majority of these refugees being Syrian and Iraq. In terms of settlement conditions, no formal refugee camps were established for Syrian refugees, and as a result, most of them live in non-residential buildings and overcrowded settlements. Palestinian 
Refugees live in formal camps established by the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian refugees in the Near East. Unfortunately, multiple factors are contributing to young refugees, and young female refugees in particular, having a lack of access to post-secondary education. These include barriers such as discrimination, not having legal status, and the cost of pursuing post-secondary education. With the recent explosion in Beirut and the COVID-19 pandemic, access to educational opportunities and overall conditions for refugee populations in Lebanon that were already vulnerable have worsened. What is WUSC's stance on the blast that happened in Lebanon? WUSC's vision is to create and build a better world for all young people, and to create a more inclusive, sustainable, and equitable future for young people. They specifically focus on women and refugees, and their goal is to empower and give access to higher education in order to secure a better quality of life. The Beirut explosion occurred on August 4, 2020 in Lebanon's capital city, causing 200 deaths, 6,500 people injured, and around 10 to $15 million in damages. Sadly, it has been ep- estimated that around 300,000 people have been temporarily left homeless, which is an extremely high amount. Lebanon has been struggling over the recent years both politically and economically, and the explosion has only made things worse. Previously, WUSC has provided undergraduate programs in community mobilization for refugees and marginalized individuals in Lebanon through blended and online methods. WUSC continues to encourage and provide opportunities for young refugees in Lebanon to create a chance for them to achieve higher education for a better future. WUSC's goal is to continue to provide resources and opportunities for youth and refugees to come to Canada where they can be safe and healthy. How does the Lebanon explosion affect WUSC's work? Lebanon is a country that has been and still is facing a socio-economic crisis and civil strife. The country was struggling in the midst of the pandemic and the blast had only added to the struggles by destroying many medical resources. Youth in Lebanon have been struggling to fight for equal opportunities and standing up for education and employment. This is a fight they are constantly fighting for and WUSC is an organization that helps youth with such struggles by giving them many opportunities. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Lebanon podcast. I really hope you learned something new. I hope you enjoyed it and go check us out at Ontario Tech U. Have a great day. Thank you.